Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Well, hello and welcome back to Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. I am finally, finally back with season two. I know it is well and truly overdue, but we have been a little busy over here at the dietologist in the last nine to 12 months. So we've gone from fully face-to-face to fully virtual Um, We've launched a whole new suite of new online e-guides, meal plans, and also brand spanking new programs like The Waiting Game and Get Pregnant with Endo, combined with record numbers of new clients and a growing team, which now includes my amazing colleague, Kaylee Slater, who is a fellow fertility and pregnancy dietitian and nutritionist. It is more than safe to say that 2020 was absolutely jam-packed and in the best way possible. So I just want to take a moment to say that I really, really do appreciate your support since I launched in, I believe it was March of 2020. We are now nearly at 20,000 downloads and I still hear from so many of you who are just finding the podcast and email and DM me about how useful you and your partners have been finding it, which is so awesome to hear. I'm always so thrilled to hear this amazing feedback from so many of you from all over the world. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take this as your reminder to drop me a rating and a review so more listeners can help me find this podcast. Your follows, subscribes, and reviews mean the podcast ended up peaking in the top 10 of the nutrition charts here in Australia, which is one of my greatest achievements so far. So thank you. For those who are new around here, though, I feel like a reintroduction is in order. My name is Stephanie Velarkis, and I'm a fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a digital nutrition practice dedicated to nutrition for women's health, fertility, and pregnancy. And this podcast is dedicated to all things preconception, fertility, and women's health nutrition, brought to you in easy-to-understand bite-sized episodes. Now, before we get into the juicy part of today's episode, I wanted to let you know that my free fertility masterclass is now available for you to watch. Inside this 60-minute masterclass, I talk you through the top four fertility diet mistakes I see my clients making and what to do instead using my practical nutrition strategies that I use with my one-on-one clients every single day. Spots do fill up quickly though, so be sure to save your seat using the link in the show notes and I can't wait to see you there. Now, on to today's episode. I want to talk to you a little bit about preconception blood work or lab work for those in the USA. 
what I like to request and what I consider as essentials, whether you're just entertaining the thought of starting a family soon to a fertility treatment veteran. These are some of the key tests to look at on a six monthly to annual basis, depending on your needs to see how things are changing. So let's get stuck into it. So for the purpose of brevity, otherwise it wouldn't be such a snack-sized episode, I am going to touch on what nutrition-related blood work you should be getting done. There is a whole bunch of other stuff you could consider alongside this, but please chat to both your dietitian and your doctor about what blood tests to consider in your specific scenario. So onto the nutrition bloods that I like to get my clients to check. Number one, get your vitamin D level checked. About one in four Australians are vitamin D deficient, and this is probably higher in cooler climate countries and parts of the world. Most of my international clients are actually really shocked to hear that one in four Aussies are vitamin D deficient because we are known as the sunshine country. But between lockdowns and most of us working and studying indoors for those sunshiny hours of the day, our vitamin D levels can dip down quite a lot. There are also certain groups of people who are at an increased risk of vitamin D deficiency. For example, those who spend most of their time indoors, I'm raising my hand over here, and or have a lot of their skin covered when outdoors for religious reasons, or otherwise are likely to have an increased risk of vitamin D deficiency. For example, a darker skin tone as well uh, could require more sun exposure to get enough vitamin D due to the presence of the pigment melanin. Certain medical circumstances are also linked to a higher risk of deficiency. So if you are diagnosed as deficient, don't worry, but be sure to check again after aiming to correct it under the care of your doctor and or dietitian. If you're getting your AMH or anti-malurian hormone tested to see where your ovarian reserve is at and you haven't had a recent vitamin D level, definitely get these checked at around the same time because we do know if your vitamin D status is poor, it can falsely lower your AMH result, which could mean that you think you have a lot lower ovarian reserve than what you really do. So you want to get these two done at around the same time if at all possible. Now, the next nutrient I like to test for is iron. I've talked about iron in season one. Besides being responsible for transporting oxygen around your body via red blood cells, being deficient in iron headed into pregnancy not only leaves you feeling a lot more tired, which FYI, everybody is already feeling a bit tired, let alone growing another human, but also compromises your immune system and means you're you are at an increased risk of deficiency once you do hit that second trimester when your blood volume really starts to expand very rapidly to support the developing baby. And this doesn't slow down in the third trimester either. The issue is that many women don't tolerate iron supplements well, particularly in the first trimester, because of some forms of iron being quite constipating and constipation is already present for many in the early stages of pregnancy. So there are a few key iron markers you can look at when you do an iron study and each have their role, but the one we most closely look at is called ferritin. So be sure you request that one. You should also do a full blood count alongside your iron studies just to rule out issues such as anemia. So this is where your iron deficiency is starting to affect the amount and or shape of your red blood cells. So this is super important to rule out as well. 
Whilst deficiency is certainly common, excess iron or iron accumulation syndrome, also known as hemochromatosis, which is an inherited condition, is also important to know about before getting pregnant too, so that we can tailor any prenatal supplement recommendations to avoid overloading you with even more iron, as well as many, many prenatal vitamins do contain a decent amount of iron in them too. So whether you're deficient or or in excess, we do need to know. And if you're right on the borderline, that's something we do need to keep an eye on as things progress, whether you're trying to conceive or entering into pregnancy. The third nutrient to look out for is B12. Vitamin B12 is absolutely critical in the metabolism of folate, which I'll get to in a moment, which means it has a supportive role in ensuring you optimize fertility and ovulation, but also reduce the risk of neural tube defects too. Plus, I'm finding with more and more people, especially women, leaning towards a more plant-based, vegetarian, or even vegan diet, it can significantly increase your risk of B12 deficiency, as this is a nutrient found only in animal foods, as well as some fortified plant foods. If you're also taking metformin, which is a commonly recommended medication for those with insulin resistance and PCOS, It is a very good idea to check your vitamin B12 routinely as this medication is known to deplete B12 a bit faster than your regular medications. So do chat to your doctor and dietitian about this further. I've got a cute little analogy for those Titanic fans out there. So if Folane is Kate Winslet in that scene in the Titanic where she's at the very front of the boat, then B12 is Leonardo DiCaprio. It plays an absolutely essential supportive role in the function of folate on the edge of the boat. (laughs) Now, on to folate. Now, in the past, I never used to be too pedantic about requesting this for clients, except in very particular circumstances, such as those using folate-depleting medication, quite a long-term use of the pill, or even certain medical conditions like celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease, a history of neural tube defects. But just through my own experiences and working with clients, I now never overlook this test. Yes, absolutely. Folate is a water-soluble vitamin, so excesses will leave the body in your wee. Uh, This is absolutely true. But it is still a really good check step to feel reassured that it is well and truly above that cutoff before trying to conceive or entering pregnancy. For those of you who don't know, I have been navigating my own quite significant folate deficiency for about the past 12 months, and I finally got it under wraps. But um, if you'd like to hear an episode about folate on its own, drop me a DM over on Instagram at the underscore dietologist. Would love to hear from you and get that episode out to you all. Number five, should you check your zinc levels? Whilst there is a blood test for zinc, For most people, this test isn't going to give much of a true indication of your zinc status, as the standard zinc test is for serum zinc, which is looking at how much zinc sits actually outside of your cells instead of inside, so it may not be a good indication. So just because zinc is low outside the cell or in the serum doesn't necessarily indicate deficiency, so that's why it's considered an unreliable marker of zinc status. However, zinc is absolutely critical in the development and maturation of the egg, fertilization, and many women of reproductive age just simply don't get enough, about 20% of the population, in fact, and again, may affect people who don't have a well-planned plant-based diet, 
more so than others or those who don't get enough animal protein regularly. So if you're in those kind of higher risk categories, it's a really good idea just to touch base with a dietitian, do a bit of an assessment and see where your zinc levels stuck up and how to give them a boost through your diet or lifestyle. So that's a few nutrients you should get checked. Some additional nutrition-related blood work to consider as well can include a fasting blood glucose level and fasting insulin. This just gives us a snapshot into how you are doing without any food when it comes to your blood sugar regulation and your insulin levels to screen for things like insulin resistance, which can be seen at higher rates in those who are diagnosed also with PCOS in particular. Research is starting to explore whether insulin resistance has an impact on conception and also pregnancy health, as we know that people with insulin resistance heading into pregnancy may run an increased risk of developing gestational diabetes in their pregnancy, but also for your long-term health, reducing your risk of future diabetes as well. It's really, really important to address this prior to conception wherever possible. Another test to consider, particularly if you haven't done it before or not for a while, is celiac disease serology. Now, celiac disease affects about 1 in 70 Australians, and there is a high rate of people who go undiagnosed, as many don't know that you can be completely without a symptom in the world and have this condition which can affect your gastrointestinal or digestive system. Now, celiac disease is actually an autoimmune condition where gluten is reacting in the body, causing damage to the lining of the small intestine. And when those finger-like projections of the intestinal lining, known as villi, are damaged, this can impact on nutrient absorption for critical nutrients, including folate, iron, and calcium. Celiac disease in both women and men, if it is undiagnosed or not well-managed, can contribute to infertility. It can be really well managed though with a strict gluten-free diet and monitoring, which should be done only under the team approach of your dietitian, GP and gastroenterologist. It is really important that if you think that you want to get this test done, that you do not eliminate gluten beforehand. To see the immune markers in your blood, you need to be eating enough gluten, which is found in wheat, rye and barley. You need to consume about the equivalent of four slices of bread every day for at least six weeks to be getting enough gluten to potentially avoid a false negative on your blood test. So this is super important. I see so many clients following a low gluten or a gluten-free diet already and get this test done and go, oh, I don't have celiac disease, but without the gluten being present, you could truly have it, but the test is saying it is negative. So that is something that you do really want to rule out. Some people with celiac disease do have very painful gastrointestinal symptoms amongst many other symptoms such as skin rashes and nutrient deficiencies and weight loss, just to name a few. But you could also consider a genetic test. This does not rely on gluten in the diet and many people do carry the gene and will never develop celiac disease. 
But if you don't have the gene, you can't develop celiac disease. So it's only really there to rule out the potential for celiac disease. If you've got the gene, it doesn't mean you've got it. And you should consider potentially a gluten challenge, particularly if you have clinical symptoms of the disease, and then speak to a gastroenterologist about a follow-up endoscopy and to confirm this with a biopsy as well. That was a lot of information jammed into a short time frame, Uh, but I hope you got something out of that. Now, there are a whole bunch of conditions and circumstances where this list definitely deviates, um, whether that be PCOS to endometriosis, having undergone bariatric or weight loss surgery, or having experienced a heartbreaking loss or miscarriage, and of course, a history of nutrient deficiencies, to name a few. There are lots of additional considerations, so please do lean on your healthcare provider for advice. I do provide my recommendations for any of my one-on-one clients as well, but just know that this is really for your information and not to replace medical or individual advice. I hope this episode has been useful for you. Let me know if it has by dropping me a message on Instagram. I do personally reply to all of them. Although I am now a big fan of the voice memo as it is just so much quicker to get through all my DMs each day. So if you hear back from me via a voice memo, don't be alarmed. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts and share with your partner, friends or family. And save your seat for my next free online masterclass available all around the world from your laptop to learn about the four key fertility diet mistakes I see my clients making and what to do instead. The link is in the show notes below. I've gotten some incredible feedback on this masterclass from previous participants, so I just know you will absolutely love it and get so much out of it. I will catch you in the next episode, everyone. Bye.